Hello, and welcome to episode 125 of Relics of Ore. Joining me today are our usual co-hosts. Uh, we have Evie here. Hi. How's it going, Evie? Um, let's let's just not get into how I feel about this story. It... <laughs> Well, let's get into it in a minute. We'll we'll, we'll go with that. And uh, as as usual, we have Spirit with us. Hello, everyone. This time with a functioning microphone and internet connection. It's glorious. I love it. Let's keep it this way forever. <laughs> let's treasure it. Uh, and joining us today for, I believe, the first time on the podcast, or certainly the first time since I've been on, uh, we have Vraben or Vraben. How's it going today? Hey, pretty good. And this is my first time on the podcast. Glad to be here. I've been a fan for a while, and it's exciting to you know join in. Yeah, you get to see how the proverbial sausage is made and what sort of <laughs> uh, meat-toberfest it is. That's is right. To say, Exciting. Horrifying and subtly, subtly disturbing. Yeah. It's not after midnight. We, this is it true. It be happening. That's true. Relics <laughs> after midnight is a lot of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, without further ado, surprisingly, we have a lot to talk about, even though I feel like there was not much to this patch. So we'll move right into Patch Adams. They're squirrels. They're one of the most amiable creatures on the planet. Oh, no, they're not. On the list of hostile predators, they're right above the bottom, just above baby chicks and slugs. What could they possibly want? Your nuts? So, uh, this was sort of a short patch, in my opinion. I felt like there... I felt like there wasn't a lot to chew on, and this, this patch sort of felt like the most... Like a traditional MMO in the, in the sense of just like, go here, do this, go here, do this, go here, do this. Mm-hmm. And um, to top it off, some of the mobs weren't even there. <laughs> yeah, it also it also is definitely the rockiest of the releases thus far um, in terms of bugs, which I felt I felt kind of bad for the, the staff. Like it was it was clear that they were putting in a lot of extra time to get it fixed quickly. Mm-hmm. Um I know that there were events stalling. Were there other? Was that is that what was causing the event stalling? Basically, like, the mobs just weren't there. Yeah, I I heard that that was happening, and I just decided to not even try it for the first couple days because there's nothing more frustrating than that kind of sitting around waiting and wondering if it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, did you uh, guys encounter those problems? I I was one of those people that dove in right at the beginning, and as soon as we realized they were stalling, myself, uh, Lady Gallo of Devi, and Hunter actually we're all uh ferrying people into working and i have to give a shout out to the guild community again for being fantastic and uh cooperating to circumvent the issues because the events that were stalled were different on different maps so you could complete the content uh basically through the grace of the community and people who are kind enough to ferry you which also sort of brings me back to a recurring complaint that we have of not having something akin to the district system because the idea of needing people to ferry into these sort of uh, ethereal what what instance am I in is kind of uh, frustrating, and that like <clears throat> that would be one way to at least somewhat alleviate that problem. But uh, how about you, Raven? Did you run into any of that stuff? I was I started about two days after the patch came out, so I came in and everything was working fine. But the zones I was in, people were like, "Oh, it's glitch, it's not working." But it was, you know, a thorn vine, and you had to kill the roots before the thorn. I'm like, it's invulnerable until you, you know, hit it. It's just a mechanic. It's not bugged. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I didn't uh, see any problems, but I was a couple days in. I did notice. It felt like 
Uh, I actually kind of liked the mechanics that they had, but it seems like they didn't telegraph them extremely well. Like, they said what you had to do literally, but they didn't say the way that you were supposed to get that done. And it definitely confused me at first, because I think I accidentally got coded in the spores or whatever and picked up a thing, and then it was knocking me out, and so I kind of thought it was bugged also. Um, But, I mean, you know, I read... Uh, how about you, Evie? How'd you how'd you do with the uh, initial onslaught of events? Um, well, I guess I'm I was kind of lucky in the sense that whenever I would go up to do an event, it would basically be done, and I just had to talk to an NPC. So I did <laughs> one event the entire thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that I guess that is sort of goes with the goes with the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I, I do have to give them credit, though. They did fix it pretty quickly. Um, but that's what I thought was cool, because it was like open-world events, you know, open-world personal story. Instead of having your own instance for some of it, you were out there, and these events were happening on these maps for everyone to see, which I thought was kind of neat. The thing that I did like about it was that typically I don't like reliance on open-world events because uh, it, it sort of has like a scheduling issue where you're sitting around waiting to waiting to have fun to sort of take a jab at their... Uh, you know, motto that they were trying to avoid, but to their credit, I thought it was really smart to make the events, at least during the living story patch, we'll see how it goes in the future, just run back to back to back to back to back um, in an area, so you basically didn't really have to wait ever. Um, I thought that was sort of a smart compromise. And if you happen to catch it during the time that the event isn't running, you can just keep going, so... Right. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, well, and and speaking of speaking of bugs, they also had an accidental wave of uh, perma bans, but fortunately they reverted those within a couple hours. So hats off to ArenaNet for that. You it's know, good, to, good that they're responsive about it. As horrible as that is, I'm kind of happy that happened. <laughs> Why is that? Because it kind of shows just how what's the word I'm looking for? Diligent they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very responsive. I mean, they. It sort of lends some credibility to when people get legitimately banned and not reinstated. It sort of, you know, lends some credibility to the fact that they probably were doing something wrong if, you know, they'll openly admit that they make mistakes and revert them. Um, But anyway, um, but I I guess let's just like, let's just get right into the story of it. How did you guys feel about this patch? I, I feel like it's a fairly common sentiment that this was the weakest story installment of mm-hmm. of this season would you guys say that's a fair assessment yeah uh yeah not I... going into or go ahead go ahead Evie. I mind not going into the trailer because that's a whole different beast yep the, <laughs> the story itself just for the patch was very oh go do these things and that's it there was like no payoff it was just go do these things yeah it felt very uh i mean it's it's this probably sounds kind of dumb but it felt very gamey to me it felt very like here's your checklist go find each world leader each world leader is going to have you do some trivial task to get their favor and then they'll listen to you and it it felt very gamey i you know it i don't know it kind of took me out of it yeah, I thought I was playing Mass Effect for a second, you know? Get the council <laughs> together, huh? But not in the good way like you want. <laughs> exactly! Yeah, what were you saying, Spirit? No, that was almost exactly what I was going to say. It felt it was a very uh, disjointed experience, whereas, you know, the first two patches had been this very 
continuous flow that took you in and out of instances through the open world and just kind of guided you through the content uh, and you could stop and play at your own rate it was very much an on-rails experience and it was uh, yeah disjointed like I said I, I was waypointing constantly all over the world to I mean I felt less like I was a part of the change and more like I had to hold everyone's hand through like okay you kids settle down I will turn this <laughs> council around if you don't behave yourselves and I don't know yeah I felt very much like I uh, was responsible for dragging all of the leaders to the council by their hand like, yeah come you we're gonna go talk about dragons now it also seems weird that they're not sending representatives like, I don't think we actually need the queen, and I don't think we actually need, like, the people actually in charge, you know what I mean? But, I mean, we all know she's not actually the queen because of that locket now, obviously. <laughs> yeah, why else would they talk about it, right? Uh, anyway, well, sorry, I think we all agree that it was fairly light on light on the story in terms of, uh, com- compared to the last ones, it just felt... um. It felt it felt a little off, and part of that's probably even in the name. You know, it's part one. Yeah, I mean, it felt very much kind of like a pre, like a prelude. No, I didn't mind the story progression. It's just the, uh, yeah, it just felt like it was on rails. Waypointing across, like Spirit said and stuff, just didn't seem right. But the story progression, what actually happened, I thought that was okay. I mean, I was satisfied with that. Was, now speaking, oh, go ahead. The flow of it was a little too stretched out and a big part of that is probably because of how they implemented the open world events within like between the personal stories type stuff Mm -hmm. so overall the experience just felt kind of disjointed you know this is a really subtle thing and i'm sure there's probably technical limitations on why they can't do it uh with the with the story journal but i feel like it would have been really neat if you could just choose the order that you did them in because it was so obviously the order didn't matter for which people you were helping that it would have kind of, I don't know, I feel like it would have helped at least subtly in your mind to be able to say like, we need to get these people together, go find out what they need instead of first go here, then go here, then go here. You know, it, yeah, um, that would have made a lot more sense because you show up right yeah. when you know, Bram's ready to talk to his mother and you're like, oh, I'm just in time for everything. And yeah, the well, thing with yeah. that, though, is it would become even more checklisty than it already was. You think it would be more checklisty to say you have to talk to these four people, choose the order you want to do it in, Absolutely. and say you first have to talk to the Asura, then you do their Asura thing, then you go to the Grove, and then you do the Grove thing, then you go, like... Uh, because with the way it is now, it's still kind of checklisty because you're going, like, okay, you go here, then you go here, then you go here, then you go here. And that's the way it is. But the way you guys just suggested, they're literally giving you a checklist, and then you go to each one as you see fit. I guess. I don't know. I, I mean... Which is even more like Mass Effect. So. So, I mean, to me, an ordered check, an ordered checklist feels like more of a chore than a not... Like, than a choose the way you want to do it, but... Yeah, anyway, it's not like that. it that doesn't really matter though. It's not yeah. it's not a huge point. Um but speaking of talking about the story a little bit, uh how did you guys feel about and or did you read slash notice the extra dialogue that you got if you were a Silvari with the pale tree? I don't uh, have a I, Silvari character. I did. I um when the event stalled I went back and started on my Silvari, um, just to see if there was different dialogue for Pale Tree. Um, wasn't there quite a bit? Wasn't there like ten yeah, panes? It was. It was a significant amount of different dialogue, 
but I personally didn't feel like I gained a whole lot from it. It was all kind of stuff that we, I guess, confirmations of things that we guessed at and were fairly confident in guessing at, like, oh, the soundless are particularly susceptible to Morjamoth's uh, corruption. You know, the Savari are no longer immune to dragon corruption, at least particularly from Morjamoth. And the Dream, you know, Savari affiliated with Dream are particularly perfect, uh, protected from it. Mm-hmm. That was the gist of it. it. I mean, it was stuff we we could have assumed. But yeah. they didn't from... explicitly say that the Nightmare was Mordoroth corruption either, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I think it's fairly established that it's not. Yeah, because Mordoroth is It's interesting to me. I think that's a, a nice sort of uh, moral gray area in the world then. Because... Guild Wars 2 tends to be the very uh, the good and evil are very clear. There's not a whole lot of shades of gray in between. Yeah, very polarized. Yeah, I find it interesting that uh, despite the evil intentions of the Nightmare Court, the fact that they are still affiliated with the Dream protects them from the other evil. I think that's interesting. Uh, Yeah. And who knows? Maybe we'll team up with them. And of my enemy of my enemy is my friend, and all that jazz. That would be really interesting. I approve. And it's really interesting that you mention the like whole polarizing thing Mm because Guild Wars One was actually really good about not being so polarizing. Right, not being so black and white. Even factions to some extent, and it it was kind of weird going into Eye of the North and it suddenly being like very polar. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling, and this is going into something probably even further than Mordormoth, you know, much later on down the line, that we're going to be seeing a little bit more of not-so-polar badness in the future. Yeah. Because they're hinting heavily at it anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There have been I, there have been specific instances. I think Kanak is, is an especially good one, his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking is... forward to him showing up. Yeah, he's actually disappeared. I don't know if you guys noticed, but he's uh, Billet has gone through, and he is now working for the Shining Blade officially. Oh. And and there goes Spirit saying exactly what I was hinting at. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm I'm all about getting this subtleness. Well, so- like talking about Shades of Grey, I'm also you know interested in we're learning more about Scarlet. And how, you know, it's more of a tragic story because, you know, Omad subjected her to that, which made her crazy. And if that hadn't happened, she probably would have been kind of a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's 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 so weird and it's such an illustration of sort of how weird their storytelling is. Because I know that I read, you know, Omad's device story really early on because it was on the website. And that very much informed my view of Scarlet, and so a lot of the stuff that's been, you know, sort of quote-unquote revelations in the game, I'm just sort of sitting here going, yeah, I know, I read that. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, you know, we've definitely complimented them that they're actually putting it in-game instead of on the website, but on the other hand, it feels really weird to be coming out this late and being like, oh, you know, well, she got corrupted and it wasn't really her fault. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I read that ages ago. It's <laughs> kind of like watching Game of Thrones when you've already read the books. <laughs> yeah, except without the really sweet reactions of all your friends that haven't read the books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I kind of 
I'm I'm ready for them to drop Scarlet. You know, it's kind of I feel like it just keeps sort of bringing up a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Not because what they're doing is bad, but because a lot of people just are really tired so of hearing tired about it. Tired of Scarlet. Yeah. And when they did like the very first uh, episode of this season. Mm-hmm. When they did another Silvari engineer, I'm just like, if this dude is not dead by the end of this patch, <laughs> there will be nothing that will hold me back. Well, I was just thinking on points of interest. They for the first chapter, you know, some one of them said, "Well, you know, you or maybe it was the second one." They were like, "Well, we find out that Scarlet was here first, and I just like rolled my eyes so hard I almost had an aneurysm because. <laughs> I just was like, I mean, I get it, and I get that we're following in her footsteps, but holy crap, the last thing you want to be doing is making the story about Scarlet retroactively, well, not retroactively, but, you know, <laughs> like, turning this story into talking all about Scarlet too, because everybody was so sick of her already, and I mean, I get it, I get that they they wanted to have a mechanism to, you know, give players the backstory that was written a long time ago, but never was in game and stuff. But, you know, it's, I feel like it's a, it's sort of a PR problem for them to be, to have Scarlet be the poster child when she was, when she was, uh, you know, to pardon the, to pardon the phrase that we've been overusing, very polarizing in the community. Yeah. I think I can sympathize with that, even though I don't feel that way. It's probably because I took a break for most of Scarlet's shenanigans. Yeah. It, Anyway, well, we don't have to get into that, but... Well, I mean, when Scarlet first came out, she was an amazing character. And she, honestly, she is an amazing character, if you look at it from, like, the big picture. Yeah. But because she was around for so long, I am just so sick and tired of hearing her name. Well, and a lot of the storytelling was really poorly presented in-game, where it just felt like... Since it took them so long to to get at the point of what Scarlet was doing, it just felt like it was let's come up with an enemy and then slap a Scarlet did it sticker at the end mm-hmm. um, for a long time. And I get why, and especially you know as you said after the fact and knowing what we know, we get why that was the case and that was pretty legitimate. But only finding out about it a year after the fact, you know, made it seem really really cliched and boring for the whole you know time but anyway we've we've kind of talked that subject to death anyway so uh, well let's let's move on um well can i have one more thing no (laughs) so uh raven since you haven't played a whole lot of season one do you find it valuable to have this sort of exposition about what happened there because i i have actually walked through uh my friend who is uh, relatively casual at the game did not play any of season one and she's coming into season two and she finds it interesting to learn about Scarlet. how do you how do you feel about her uh still sort of being around after her death yeah it doesn't bother me and i like you know following her footsteps learning about her i think she's really a tragic character and i think i can empathize or sympathize with that a little more because she wasn't i wasn't she i never put in my face all the time yeah yeah, and I mean, that was definitely my impression when I read the, you know, the OMAD story thing. You know, it's like, oh, man, that's that's really sad, and that's really, you know, that's kind of tragic that she's been, her curiosity led her too far, and she was a brilliant mind that went astray. And so, but, yeah, like you said. I am really curious as to why her mind broke, and the PC character didn't. <laughs> because she made modifications to the machine. That's what I was thinking, but Quote, why did Scarlet did it. But why did she do that? <laughs> did she did. do that because it was like a 
a reflex reaction because it hurt her? Or is there some part of her that wanted to protect someone from it happening next? Or, you know, why did she do that? I have. I feel few... like she probably wanted to investigate what it saw again. Yeah, and, like, and better. I don't know. Or, and this is going into a little bit of a tinfoil hat thing, they're setting up Scarlet as she was actually a good guy, kind of like how they did the Mursat, in a sense. And it's like, well, she thought that she could fight the corruption. And she was really trying to, like, hurt Mordemoth, but she failed. Yeah. I yeah. think, you know, I think in her mind she was creating a force that could, sorry, excuse me, that could, uh, that could beat Mordremoth, um, but that, you know, ultimately it was, she was being manipulated. Well, so we're sort in of t- unresolved, isn't it? Like, we know she tried to wake up Mordremoth, but the why is completely un. Well, I figured that. she tried to wake up Mordremoth to kill it <laughs> with all her marionette stuff, because I feel like... I don't know. That's I guess that's speculation, uh, but the giant robot versus Godzilla. Yeah. Well, not even just the marionette, but like going to the whole toxic alliance thing and the miasma. It's it's possible that she was doing the whole poison thing in order to find a way to poison uh, the magic that Mortimoth is like feeding off of or something. Yeah. Since we're in tinfoil hat territory, and we've got the dream and all these other things. What if Scarlet was someone other than what's her? Was her name Sarah? Sierra. So, what if you know someone else came into her vessel and the original Scarlet is somewhere else, like sucked back into the dream? Oh, you mean like her, uh, like she was possessed and her original consciousness was preserved somehow? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And another Silvari is going to be born and it's going to be Sierra. Yeah, I mean that's out there, but I mean that's something <laughs> that I thought about, and who knows. All I can say is... As out there as that like is, that said. makes more sense than a lot of other theories. That that makes sense, but all I have to say is that if Anat does that, like, we're gonna get some serious prepare yourselves or angry fanboys are coming <laughs> because true. it's not... It would not be pretty, and as legitimate as that is, I feel like I would be at the... Like, I would be willing to be at the front of that charge. Even though I don't hate Scarlet like some people do... Like I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. Well, it wouldn't be Scarlet. It would be. Sierra. I. <laughs> I understand that. I'm just if it telling you. Like a duck, it's probably Scarlet Briar. Right. If it I mean, like it's a just... duck, it might be a swan. Look, it's doing some serious <laughs> Daniel Jackson, like ascending and descending and back and forth, and I don't know if any of you guys ever watched Stargate, the TV series. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. So speaking of story stuff that we don't like, uh, I think Evie and I are both really annoyed about the trailer, and I know some people don't give a script, but I I really find it distasteful to show the last scene of something in the trailer, especially when the content is this short. I mean, it only takes like an hour-ish to do the entire story content for two weeks, and to have Literally the last the scene... climax of it be in yeah. the trailer. But kind it, of... they didn't show the whole scene. Yeah, I don't They care. showed the most important part of it. <laughs> but I thought that was like the hook, and then something that you wasn't ex- weren't expecting happened. Yeah, that is Except true, but at the same totally time... you totally expected, though. 
I didn't expect him to jump in. Okay, I, but I expected the curse to be over. You with. know what? I I can actually get that because I'm weird and I like look at small details and I connected the dots and I know most people probably wouldn't get that. Oh hey, that sword is going into the mist when he tries to do this. Really, you really anticipated that? Absolutely. Oh wow, kudos. I feel like Evie has way more to say about it. All I have to say about it is it pisses me off. Um, but I feel like Evie has a lot more to say about the subject in general, both in a more intelligent fashion and in a more tangential fashion. It, at least to me. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. If I hadn't seen that scene where it was like, oh, hey, we're going into Duke Baradin's crypt and this is going to happen. And he's yeah. putting it into the ground in this particular spot and all that. I wouldn't have seen it coming. And right. that it, it 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 was a spoiler, straight up. The problem for with me for me with spoilers is that I have a really good memory for things like that, and so the longer into the content you go without having seen the spoiler content, the more sure you are that it's the climax, mm-hmm. and yeah. it makes or or in general it just spoils things, you know, where like it, you know in a movie if you know that a character's alive to say a line and the movie's supposed to be the type of movie in which characters can die or get maimed or whatever, you know that this character has plot armor and that in itself is more of a spoiler than even what the like line or action is and it drives me crazy. Or in but... the case of some other shows, it's where they like show different outfits in the opening trailer and you know that this particular character hasn't gone through them all yet so they still have plot armor <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's a thing so i guess while we're talking about trailers how do you feel have you guys watched the new trailer for the next one uh, okay yes. okay what is up with people going oh hey let's get all the world leaders in one place nothing bad's going to happen yeah, exactly. <laughs> when has history ever shown that to be a bad idea? Come on. I bet you can't come up with even a single hundred examples. Something, something, Archduke of Ferdinand? <laughs> uh, whatever. Like I said, they should be sending representatives, not the actual queen and actual whatever. But that's okay. Um, aside from aside from complaints about gathering all the world leaders, how do you guys feel about is like has this piqued your interest for the next patch? Is it too much? Is it too little? Uh, Opinions. Okay, Kate, go. In I don't know how to this. It was very uh, straightforward to me. I think it falls into that that problem where I I'm fairly sure I know what's going to happen and so I'm like ooh lights are turning off Woo. on, on, on <laughs> like, that note and I, and I have to say this now because you just said that the most interesting part of that trailer to me was oh my god they turn off yes I, I actually I did find that interesting like I feel like I know what's gonna happen but it that was a visual interesting part of the trailer I thought uh actually having non-NPC characters there was rather interesting too because there was like a party of five player-ish characters. There was an Asura from the Dry Top trailer, or I think it was Entanglement. Yeah, because it had the Sand Giant in it. 
uh, but every other character was sort of, uh, I believe, a stand-in for player characters. It'd be interesting to me to see if uh, the ancient evil that Ominous Voiceover Lady is hinting at is uh, a several person. I wouldn't. I believe. That. I believe Ominous Voiceover Lady is the pale tree. By the way. Oh, is it this time? I just assumed it was the same lady that did uh, all of the ominous voiceover ladies for uh, Scarlet's stuff. I just the same person. It might be, but this time it's the Pale Tree. But this time it's the Pale Tree. Pale Tree has a new nickname for me, and it is Ominous Voiceover Lady. Or OVL, if you're into acronyms. (laughs) She's the Oval. Wait, AVO? What? Ominous? OVL? You didn't get what? Never mind. No. Alright. You're right, I didn't. Uh, Rabin, thoughts? I didn't see it, so I was scrambling to watch it while you guys were talking. Oh, okay. And, you know, I'm I'm not, it seems, yeah, very predictable, but I think it's, I mean, it's what, part two? Yeah. yeah this patch will be, so I think it's still opening, you know? So they're building a story up in an episode fashion. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, these are episodes, and so it's like a, like a TV series. Mm-hmm. And so they're building it up, and I'm hopeful it'll go somewhere. I'm just happy, and I'm probably overexcited and ready to say this content is great because I'm happy that lore is going somewhere finally. It seems like lore hasn't done anything for two years. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I want to make a small little side point. Apparently it has been officially confirmed that time passing in real time is the same amount of time that is passing in Tyria now. So it has in fact been two years in Tyria and the patches are in fact two weeks of Tyrian time apart. Um, Those dragons are punctual. Yeah, right? Uh <laughs> Gosh, they they just they really like celebrating anniversaries. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, anybody anybody want to take bets on whether or not the pale tree gets exploded? I'm gonna say no, uh, no purely because it'll have starter area armor. By de- by exploded, I mean maybe gets a lion's arch treatment in which you can still be there. I don't think so. I think they're going to keep it because the starter area. They have never touched the starter areas, no matter how much they try to blow stuff up. Well, they have never touched Lion's Arch until they touched it real bad. That's not true. Dragon Bash (laughs) happened. That's decoration. Yeah, but are you saying that they'll, like, hurt the Pale Tree or hurt the Grove? Um, either. Because I don't think... (laughs) If they lost the Pale Tree... Then it would put Silvari in. It'd be such repercussions to Silvari that I don't think. Here's the thing: all the cities and all the like prominent, important NPCs, quote quote. I think the Grove and the Pale Tree probably have the most plot armor. In speculation, I would say they're most they're the the, most significant to the plot, but that doesn't mean they can't get hurt or changed. Exactly. So while we know that they're not going away in any significant way. Yeah. It is very possible that, like, the pale tree might end up becoming, like, the not-so-pale tree. Well, what if... so <laughs> The tan tree? <laughs> we've already speculated the tan tree. We've already speculated that the nightmare and the dream both shield them from Mordermoth. So what if they hit the pale tree and she had to, you know, the dream got weakened and the nightmare was stronger? Yeah, that could That's legitimately possible. happen. Um, I submit to you this tinfoil. Uh, I know... present thee with this hat made of tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it's going to be. Uh, I was disappointed when... Uh, this is kind of extra speculatory, but if you ever look at the map before you unfog it, like when you roll a new character, all of the main cities are depicted by circles. And mm-hmm. I happened to notice that there was a circle... Uh, it is now in the very southeast part of Dry Top and kind of continues down to the part that we know exists because we'll break out of the map, but we haven't it's seen it. It's the hint of Denmark. Hey. 
I want to see it as a city. Anyway, I submit to you that there could be a second uh, tree there. We know that there is one, and perhaps the Silvari starter area relocates for a while. We do know there's a second tree. Yeah, in the Silvari yes. personal story, that you run into a Silvari who you find who had amnesia, and then you find out that he was not from the Pale Tree. Yeah, I did that, but I didn't ever realize that they confirmed he came from the Pale Tree. Like, well, where would he, he have could... come from if he didn't come from the Pale well, Tree? Well, he could have come from another area in the mists with a Pale Tree that was in another Tyria. Wait, what? Well, that's true. I mean, when you open up when you open up the nexus of space and time and timey wimey, <laughs> like somebody could come from literally anywhere. Um. So they didn't technically confirm necessarily that there's another tree interior, but uh, we do know for a fact. What's that? that? He found oh, you sent him to find it. He may, yeah, that's he may he just be him. wandering forever. Um, well, I hope we find him somewhere. Maybe, really maybe the tree isn't interior. It could totally, well, by Tyria, I mean the continent. Panther! Because, you know, nice. there is a particular tree that was turned into stone for like two centuries <gasps> and then won't be stone anymore. This is a full-on aluminum hat. It's not tinfoil <laughs> yeah. anymore. We've this upgraded. is this we have upgraded. <laughs> this is this well, is you know, grade the, A. The, the Priory uh, explorers were talking about ancestor trees, ancestor trees, ancestor grove, Echovald Forest, Cantha confirmed. We've, we've got it. Well, I, can't, was, I mean, yeah. I was in Dry Top and people were like, "Oh, so if these trees, these ancient trees of the the centaurs like, what if all the are dead centaurs?" <laughs> yeah, I saw whoa. that too. Uh, like, whoa. Um, also, I don't know how much you've read into the Silvari backstory or whatever, but uh, it was also confirmed that the the sapling or the seed that turned into the pale tree was taken from a cavern that was filled with other such seeds and guarded by mystical plant creatures. So, while we don't have any officially completely 100% confirmed sightings of other pale trees, I feel like that in conjunction with Malik at least points to the idea that there's probably one somewhere. And yeah. it may not be pale. You well, know. that's another thing. If if there's another pale tree, does it even have a mother? Is it sentient, or is this a being that came from the mists to watch over them, or something? Or was born from the magic imparted to it from Ventari yeah. and uh, Ronan. Ronan, is that right? Yeah. yeah. I like the idea of just having different colors out there. Oh, the cyan tree, the periwinkle tree, <laughs> the look khaki tree. Sarah khaki wanted tree. to give the pale tree a sunburn, so she called herself Scarlet. It's, you know, she wanted to burn it to the ground. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I would not be surprised if we see another pale tree or tree, whatever. Another Silvari tree. Um, and it could be over there. Yeah, like you said, new. I See, I would think it would be interesting if that circular area is not a relocated Silvari starter area, but um, a new a new tree that is maybe a big enemy area because they are... Mm. Uh, turned by Morgamoth because they don't have the protection of the dream right. or something. I'm just really curious about what that circle thing is because it is a perfect circle on the map that has been there since launch and there's the Tengu move the domain of winds after the attack so, on Lion's Arch. Ten confirmed. Does this make you guys feel though that the story focuses too much on Silvari? That's an interesting question. I feel like <sighs> It's hard to say, because I personally like the Silvari, and I can understand the motivation for integrating them in as part of the story. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I don't, I don't mind it, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of refreshing that it's not the humans. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Um, and part of it is, you know, because they're such a mystery, it's kind of cool also in that aspect because they don't even know about themselves. But I do, I can see what you mean, especially if you don't like Silvari, um, why you would sort of start getting sick of that. And it does feel like some of the other races really just, like, don't get much of a story. Norn, cough, cough, Norn. And Char, too. I mean, like, the Char have all the stuff from Guild Wars 1, but if, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Um, Um, Yeah, I tolerate it. I feel like it's a a natural extension of the way the story is in right now. Like you, you can't talk about Morjamoth without talking about Solari, Exactly. So yeah, that's true too. It it just makes sense. You know, I'll I'll be patient. We'll Norn will get our turn. We'll we'll see Jormeg someday, I'm sure. Uh Jorleg. Um <laughs> Alright, so bef- I let's see, do we have anything else to talk about in Speculator's corner really? We sort of jumped into it. We sort of combined it. Uh, we can talk about that later. Anyway, I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about in in the official segment of Patch Adams is the new back piece. Um, uh, there's a there's a new back piece added in. It kind of is reminiscent of the what free one that we got. I don't know. Um, from God, what was it? Was it South? No, it wasn't South Sun. What was the one that had the the white and yellow like back flower? Oh, that was the second the original. Sun, uh, the- Oh, the return to South Sun. Okay. Yes, yeah. Okay, I th- I was going to say, I thought I remembered it from being from South Sun, but then I remembered that hideous, like, weird alien arms of black spidery backpack thing. Um, <laughs> See, I didn't know about that one. I got the red one that was from the first time the Zephyrites were around. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, but this is a really interesting one to me because it is by far one of the hardest i well not hardest i don't know one of the most time consuming ones to get i guess um for a back piece and i would say that the only similar one was the bladed uh, back piece that we got during the attack on la arc um and it's basically just for a skin isn't it i mean we don't know what the next evolution of it is going to be but i'm going to aren't that great I'm going to assume that we're going to be able to upgrade it into an ascended version, just like they did with the the bladed back piece. Now, will you get to, did the bladed back piece allow you to choose your stats? Uh, yeah. When you ascend, at least, yes, yeah, it's somewhat. Anyway. Okay, because that's what I'm hoping for. Because I don't. I mean, I like the piece; it fits my Silvari's look and scheme. Mm-hmm. But it, it the the nomad stats are not what I want. I'm pretty sure you could choose it, or at least from a subset of them, when you ascended it before um but i don't really remember to be perfectly honest i should probably look that large up, part of it care. probably that they needed to have a back piece with nomad stats i guess um but i think there's really a couple interesting points to talk about um some people think that it's too grindy um i don't like the time gating i don't mind the grindiness but i've been said to have good have good rng and i don't like a good drop so whatever good rng but, uh, is the biggest understatement you have ever made really god is that uh, do you care to care to enlighten us how many precursors have you gotten (laughs) none yet that's not the point no i get i get uh let's see i was doing edge of the myths the other day and i've gotten two rings in probably five hours of play ascended rings and i got two or three i got three of those uh amberite fossil unidentified fossilized bugs that's pretty good and uh 20 chests actually oh Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess if I say it's not very grindy, that means something different than someone who doesn't have good RNG. But yeah. also, I haven't tried to make a back piece. It's the first back piece that I've you know attempted to make. 
Yeah. Well, it's definitely one of the harder ones because a lot of the back pieces were sort of just consolation prizes for showing up. And a point that I want to make is that I would guess that this is a permanently achievable one. Like, you can get this at any time, whereas all the other ones were only available during the two or four week period during their patches, um, or only had materials that were available during that. Like, the bladed back piece, the, the blades only dropped in the LA combat zone. And so, to some extent, I feel like this is true of most of their new rewards. They 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 are a lot grindier factually than a lot of the older rewards, but I think that part of that is that they wanted it to be that way because they're permanent. Um, you know, I don't think Dry Top's going anywhere, and they've pretty much said that uh, as much living or as much of the content that comes out as possible will be permanent. So you know, with that in mind, is it too grindy? I don't know. Um, I think it definitely helps to make yeah, well, it not grindy. I think uh, it's it's very complicated, and part of it plays into the fact that the game's been out for two years now, is that I just don't want any more back pieces, for the most part. I'm just tired of them. I've had way too many, but and so I'm I'm on such overload from back pieces that if the back piece isn't absolutely phenomenally stellar, I'm not going to really care about it either way. Yeah. Would you rather see something like this be made into precursor crafting? Well, that was what I was going to say, is I feel like this might be a... Because to me, I looked at this and I was like, wow, this is really complicated and not very... And I don't care about the skin, but at the same time, it definitely, you know, sort of scratched that thought process of, well, this could be sort of a test run for precursor crafting to have, you know, time gates and crafting and do a jumping puzzle and, you know, do these things to get these other items and combine them and... That does definitely feel very scavenger hunty um, to me, and it would not surprise me if that was a testing ground for that type of a system, because I know that you said that you hate time gates, but they definitely serve a purpose, especially if the um, especially if the results aren't sellable, which they are in this case, but um, where the purpose is essentially to make it something that you can achieve no matter how long you have or haven't been playing the game. Whereas anything that's sellable and or RNG is going to cost so much money that it's out of reach for a lot of players, which is what that's we true. see with the which is what we see with the current precursor situation is that some of these stupid precursors are fifteen hundred gold or almost two thousand gold, and I mean that's just insane and. What time gating can allow you to do, but doesn't always, is, you know, have a way to say, we think that getting a precursor should take you four months if you're doing it by a guaranteed method. Yeah. And, you know, they can guarantee that instead of saying, well, we think it should take you four months worth of getting gold, but how much gold that is is going to be <laughs> constantly fluctuating and is, yeah, you that's know, a good in point. it. In itself, that discourages a lot of playstyles because you just can't earn gold very fast playing a lot of playstyles. Or if you don't like to earn gold. Well, right, exactly. I mean, if if gold were easy to earn from doing anything you wanted in the game, then just playing the game would suffice. But the rate at which they have inflated, that's not the case. Which somehow in Guild Wars 1, I always felt that way. I would just play and have fun and I would always have enough money. Well, Guild Wars 1... Was yeah, a lot Guild Wars 1 was very interesting. Then. Well, yeah, because the market was like out of control, but that's because but but what was interesting about it was that it was so easy to get items that sold for a lot and nothing was 
was soulbound that like you'd look at it and you say oh my gosh this costs me so much and or and also as as an additional point the only things that cost uh the the cost inflated on were cosmetic essentially um like you could get your max stat armor for trivially little money especially later on but you'd say oh my gosh this skin costs you know 300 ecto or whatever but when you know that you can just like go to this boss and kill it a couple times and get something that's worth 15 ecto well you know the the fact that the that the thing costs so much to a player doesn't mean anything when you can earn those materials or you can do an underworld run and get 10 ecto or what you know 15 ecto but that made Um, it seem more open and accessible i guess i want to say to right, new absolutely. players. And that's absolutely. something that I don't like about this, you know, to group 80 grind. But now we're talking about Guild Wars 1 and 2 and comparing them. I don't think that's the topic we want to be on, but I'm not sure. Well, it's it bears the market differences um, bear discussion in terms of how they want to structure things going forward. Um, because the simple fact of the matter is that a lot of drops in Guild Wars 2 are not worth money unless they're ex- they're so exceedingly rare that it's not worth trying to go for them. And a lot of the a lot of what the market values comes from like direct direct gold from things yeah. uh, which is different from how it was in Guild Wars 1 in Guild Wars 1 ecto was the defa- de facto currency but you could earn ecto so however much the price of ecto was in platinum was completely irrelevant because you could just earn ecto um anyway that's that's a whole side discussion but uh another side effect of time gating is that it is a way to artificially enforce value for things like crafting because in guild wars 2 crafting will essentially never be profitable unless you can craft thousands of things to exploit tiny profit margins or unless there's a time gate that says well if you're impatient and want to buy this from me you can do it immediately and save yourself time but that allows you as a crafter to sell something that you know that is gated yeah um yeah, and so gate. those are valuable uses of time gates but they also wear really thin if you have too many of them yeah and getting back to crafting if they're going to make this as a point for precursor crafting i would like to see that where you're doing scavenger hunts you're doing jumping puzzles you're doing these things that you need to do that because it's like my problem part of my problem with crafting in guild wars 2 is you're crafting the same thing over and over where you know <laughs> you need five what is it five or calcum insignias or something to make one mm-hmm. and i thought that was dumb like i'm not don't have a problem with the cost i mean i'm okay with the oracalcum's expensive and i have to go get it or whatever but why is it fire the same thing why can't it be you know oracalcum and maybe a unicorn horn or something goofy you know that makes sense i'm more engaged me at least um role playing or whatever doing that when i'm doing different things not five of the same i don't want it to be any easier i just want to be more engaging yeah, I think the biggest the biggest argument against that is just a simple space issue, <laughs> because if you want to craft more than one thing, uh, your bags will fill up very quickly if you have to, you know, instead of a stack of five things, having to have five slots. Um, but that's that's really a practical issue rather than an interest level issue, which I agree crafting in Guild Wars 2 is fairly dull. Um I don't know. Anyway, what? Do you, how would you guys feel if this was was sort of a precursor to precursor crafting? I hope that they don't take lack of interest in people like doing this as a sign that the system itself is flawed. 
Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I feel like that's always a danger that some companies have is that, you know, they misread. They misread the outcome as being disinterest or distaste for any one thing that they feel like assigning the blame to. Kind of like the uh, female lead characters in games, you know, whole thing where it was like, well, they, they sell so much worse, it must be because the females are the main characters. And it's like, or because all of the games that you listed you know, don't have any marketing budget behind them and, <laughs> you know, all those types of things. Like, those things are, you're, you know, when you assign when you assign blame to something without actually having evidence, it could be any number of, of factors and you can't just say, like, this is a one-to-one correlation of why this thing is unsuccessful. Completely unrelated I think this... to Guild Wars, but, like, that whole argument of female protagonists is pretty much gone out the window because of Femship. So, like... <laughs> Somewhat, except there were only, like, 30% of players that played Femship, too. No, it was a lot more than that. It wasn't. There's You can see the statistics. The number of characters created was actually fairly low. But I I played Femship anyway. I mean, I regardless. Um, the point is, I think there's a lot of players that are in the same boat that I'm in in terms of not needing another back piece and probably just saying it's not worth the effort for a back piece that really kind of looks like the Fervid Sensor or the whatever. I didn't even know what was. it looked like and I was like, nope. Yeah, it's it's basically like a dark purpley flower. I mean, it's a little bit different than the other ones cuz those were actual reskins, but it you know, it's not that different. Um but, it's, but anyway. It's not like the other flowers though. It's like a a bud on your back. It doesn't have a stem or anything. Mm, yeah, that's true. So it's like maybe it's a not a reskin, maybe it's just taking the head off and put it on your back. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it close enough. Yeah. Uh anyway, it uh yeah, anyway, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I think, I, I really do think precursor crafting is important. There was actually an article posted on Massively this afternoon about precursor crafting and how, you know, the precursor market kind of drives a lot of people away from the game when they feel like legendaries are all they have left to go for and they're sitting there looking at this giant chunk of pure gold and no other way to get it other than gambling and how that's a big turnoff for people and... I know it's definitely a turnoff for me, so... <sighs> Speaking of uh, gambling and spending money <laughs> and wasting money, uh, that's a good segue into our new gem store item, which is uh, the <laughs> Explore the Tyrion Explorer's Knapsack, which is... I don't know if I would say it's causing a controversy, but I think a lot of people are having some sort of raised eyebrows about this thing. Uh, it costs 1,650 gems, which is over $20, um, and it's just not worth it. It's, like, it's so awful that it almost borders on exploitation of people that don't know what they're buying. Um, several people, Dolphy said it was a bad deal, a user on Reddit, um, statted it out as well, as did the Nerdy Bukas blog. Basically, the top hat is 200 gems, the hairstyle kit is 250 gems, the um, transmutation charges are 170 gems. The metabolic primers are 550 gems, which puts you at 1170 gems for everything except for the Zephyrite color swatch plus the um, uh, utility primers. And 
the utility primers are largely not really worth it, and you would have to be assuming that they're worth about 500 gems, which they may arguably be. And the Zephyrite color swatch is the one that uh, some people feel like it's kind of exploitative about, because it's your pick of a specific kind of dye, but the most expensive dye that it offers is 70 silver. And <laughs> so that's uh, about 10 gems of value maximum. And it's just, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It just seems awful to me. It's really a head scratcher in terms of their, in terms of their marketplace. How do you guys feel about it? I don't like it either, but I've never really liked the gem store. I like to though err on the side of caution and criticism for the gem store, because even though I rarely ever buy anything, it's what keeps me from having a subscription, having to pay a subscription fee. Yeah. For me, I don't buy anything on the gem store unless it's going to be account wide and that's pretty and like permanent. So, I've gotten like bank tabs. I've expanded my collection to tab once. I've gotten bag slots. That's like the iffiest thing I've gotten and I've gotten mm-hmm. the uh two newest outfits cuz Have you gotten any style kits? No. Yeah, I generally fall into the same boat. I've gotten a couple bank tabs. I've gotten a couple bag slots on my, on my main main characters that tend to accumulate a bunch of junk. Um, I have bought. I think I bought five total makeover kits, um, and I still haven't gone through them all. I think I've gone through three. Uh, I'm I'm okay with makeover and or hairstyle options being gem store stuff. I mean, I'm okay I, with it you know, too. It's it's a cosmetic. I just I yeah. don't need it because. The day they add more facial hairstyles for Norn males and human males and hairstyles that I actually like that are, you know, kind of short instead of these long things that they've been throwing at our faces, apparently. Goku hair. That was amazing when I saw Char and Edge of the Mist with that and it was blue. I've seen one that was bright pink. (laughs) On on the um, points of interest show, they actually had. Uh, I, I don't know if either of you guys have watched it. I know Kate hasn't gotten around to watching it, but they actually have. They actually have it in game behind them, and people find where it is and gather behind it. And uh, there was actually a char there that was made to look like um, made to look like Vegeta, <laughs> and he had an armor set that was like the Saiyan armor and was dyed fairly close and. It it cracked me up that he was just sitting there behind the camera jumping around, um, but anyway, I'm gonna that's, look that's a for that after the shift we're done with this. <laughs> it was pretty funny, but yeah, I I don't I especially hate the gambling items, and I really hate any kind of like consumables from the gem store. I just feel like the primers are garbage, and the the boosts like I can't imagine buying experience boosters or whatever or like crafting boosters from the so gem store yeah, you get so many with the achievement points yeah exactly um it's just baffling to me and selling selling anything for 1650 gems for like over for over twenty dollars is a dubious prospect it does seem like best. the most dubious thing they've done so far it's it's just baffling. I mean, that's that's half to a third what you'd expect to pay for an expansion pack, and when you look at that, it's just I don't know. It's, I I <sighs> yeah. Anyway, kind of baffling. I would recommend strongly against it because you're basically not saving any money, and you're probably losing money, and that's assuming that you actually use every single thing in it. And 
But people just... bought the copper-fed salvage-o-matic, too. I mean, that was... Yeah, but, but see, I, I actually use that. Yeah, that's convenient for me, because it does. It takes up one slot in my bag, not five slots. And I mean, I like, that's... That's a different kind of argument for the the gem versus gold cost because the it's the same with the infinite salvage kits, you know, like gold wise you'll never you'll never recoup your costs, but convenience wise you never have to go back to town for it. Yeah, but it doesn't um salvage off runes and stuff. Does it? I mean, you get less materials. It's the same as the like uh white salvage kits. It's the same as a white salvage kit, so... Oh, see, I never use white salvage kits. I only use higher-grade ones because I think I'll get more materials and make money off the rooms. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I just I, I just use white salvage kits because they're cheaper and more plentiful. So, like, to me, that's totally fine. That I that I use I use the uh, Mystic Salvage Kit. So, you know, the 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 picks and, and the salvage kits and all that stuff are gold-wise inefficient, but are at least convenient, but this is... I I don't know. I feel, I feel like this is especially bad. a bargain, so... That's true. Yeah. I didn't think about the convenience thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love my salvage-o-matic for... Especially when I'm doing world-v-world trains, and I just, like, don't want to go back to a vendor, you know, or, or fractals. It just lets me salvage my whole bags and never have to worry about that. But, anyway... That's it's probably not really worth talking extra long yeah, about. Yeah, the swatches are especially deceiving to a degree. Yes, yeah, that's especially that's the biggest one where it's like you know if they if they had an item that was like, hey, here's a hundred gems for one of these common red dyes that cost seventy copper, I would just be like, um. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what Nerdy Buka said. You could buy all of the common dyes for less than one selection, one one swatch. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, anyway, but this podcast is getting on into the uh, in, into the duration, so I think it's time to just cut it off on some of our discussion and just m- start wrapping it up. But uh, So I guess... Oh, go ahead. We need more. Evie? <laughs> well, there's always next week, but uh, we're already over an hour here, so I think I'm just going to move it straight into the mailbox. So this week, uh, we got a mail from Dave the Enchanter. Evie, would you like to read this one? From Dave the Enchanter. First of all, I would like to thank you guys for doing such a great job with the podcast. I have two questions. First one, does the number six trait on the Ranger runes still work Mesmer clones and illusions? I have seen a lot of arguing in-game and online over this. Secondly, have you heard if Anet is going to make template builds like in Guild Wars 1, where you could change all of your traits with just one click? Thanks again for all the work you do with the show. Dave the Enchanter. You sounded just like an enchanter, Evie. It was truly fabulous. Uh, my imaginary hat is off to you. Does anybody know off the top of their head what the answer to this is? There was some discussion between Spirit and I, but then we were too lazy to actually look it For up, so go hosts. Runes. Oh, I think I yeah. just heard Spirit. Oh my god, I, I heard her. Oh, it's me! I'm back! Hello, everyone! Um, I wasn't able to... I did try and test this, because I do have a, a Mesmer with Ranger Rune. Um, I wasn't able to come to a solid conclusion. Wait, wait, wait! Do I know something about runes that Spirit doesn't? Uh, it's entirely possible, because I don't even pay attention to runes. Go ahead, Evie, if you know, go for okay, it. Okay, I actually went off and did uh, frame testing with different runes, because I had, like, my Mesmer is the only character I have with more than one gear set, amazingly. 
and the clones do affect the damage that you do when you have uh, ranger runes on. Did you happen to test if minis still affect? I uh, didn't, but I could. Okay, because as far as I know, uh, minis still do apply as a companion. Um, if you have one, let it run amok, you get 7% more damage. I'm not sure if that's a bug, or I'm fairly sure that's a bug, actually, but uh, that's there. And I also wanted to mention, just in terms of rune resources, it is really hard right now to find up-to-date information. Uh, so as far as seeing a lot of arguing in-game and online, I would guess that a lot of people have out-of-date information and have not tested themselves. Because when I looked up Runes of the Ranger, the majority of stuff I found was from 2012. Generally speaking, though, Anet tend to not make any changes balance-wise, unless it's like a huge issue, until feature patches. So, yeah. as long as it's like, oh, it was like this after the last feature patch, you're probably good. Yep. Uh, in terms of the question about build template, it's... I would love to have those. Yeah, it's um, definitely on the dev's mind. They've said a lot about how it's a feature that they would like to implement, but that there is absolutely no timeline on it. So uh, when, if ever, we will see that is VS, but it's definitely out there as something a large portion of the community wants, and they are interested in investing resource too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that about covers it. Um, well, I have a question about the ranger, the, 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 what we were just talking about, the ranger. Get race. at it. So... Is this the same thing like when, because I had run Mesmer as my main, and I have a trait so uh, other allies get other allies get uh, Fury and such. And we tested to make sure this worked on minions, and it did. And is this like the same thing? Is there issues with that as well? Huh? I don't know. Because I remember at one point it didn't work, and now it does. Um, It's possible, because the only discussion I mean related to it is in terms of mesmers it seems to be across the board working for all other uh quote-unquote canyons so it's possible that it just got mucked up I would say it looks like it's working according to my NEV's test but uh it would not be the first time that ArenaNet has tried to fix something and inadvertently broke something else and kind of not really said anything yeah, about it because I don't know if it's the same thing where ranger runes affecting but I know I just tested it recently with Shonku that my traits were affecting his minions, so at least that's working. Well, it Ranger Runes are a little bit different in the sense that it's not them affecting your minions, it's your minions affecting your personal damage, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was just wondering if the functionality, though, is the same bug or not. It's speculation, I guess. Maybe. Who knows? I'm not a coder. We need Malkyr. Are we ready for our last segment? I think so. I, I got this one, guys. I got it. Hello, and welcome to Cast Cast, the podcast from the podcast, the podcast about the cast of other podcasts within, or in the style of cast of other podcasts. Maybe I didn't have it as much as I was expecting to have it. Uh, this week on Cast Cast, I wanted to give a shout out to TTS, the conglomeration of guilds, I guess, that uh, organizes raids for Tequadal and the Jungle Worm and Karkothene. Uh among numerous other things. It's become a very uh, prolific community, I guess. They, there's upwards of 12 guilds, I think, and I've recently joined guild number 7, the Quadal Termin Squad, uh, and I've really enjoyed my time with them thus far. Uh, it's an excellent option if you're looking to kill the, or to Quadal or the Jungle Worm. They run regular raids, uh, most every night they take Tuesdays off, kind of, but, uh, they have a wide variety of 
North American, European, and Oceanic raid time for players who, uh, to join in. Uh, you don't need to be in the guild per se to join with them. You can go to their team speak, but I recommend getting in the guild. You're more likely to get taxied that way. Um, they're very flexible. You can join uh, on their website, uh, ttsgamers.com. I will double check that before I put it in the show notes, but it will be in the show notes for your convenience. And I also I also know that Twit is joining them as well, or at least coordinating with them. Yeah, it's so. it's been a really wonderful experience. They got me my first worm kill on uh, North American servers. I actually uh, used a Relics World boss kill to get my first worm kill, which was pretty cool because I spawned it for them. Yay! That was a lot of nice. fun, and I wanted to give a shout out to everyone who was there for sticking around because it was our second attempt after failing by like two percent on the first one. Yep, they're awesome. I've down to Quaddle twice with them with TTS. There's a community-built uh, dry top event map. So if you're doing a lot of dry top lately to get your geodes or your ambrite weapons or whatever, uh, I will have a link to that in the show notes. It has um, it's an interactive map that shows the locations or like pretty much all of the spawn locations of the Braidlock lock chests. Uh, they di- they do differ from time to time, but uh, it shows possible places where they can be as depicted by a baby Dolyak with a kite. I believe it's super adorable. And also it has the events with uh, waypoint codes already copied in. So if you're trying to command a dry top map, it's an extremely handy tool so you can watch uh, which events are about to go live and just copy that right into your map chat. Or if you're helping to organize it, that is also an excellent resource for you. So those people, they don't have mad typing skills. I was wondering how they do that so fast. No, not that I know. I think some of them do, but uh, there is a way to prepare for it. You, you, you guys uh, need to stop to revealing to my the... secrets. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about the videos? Because you put them in the show notes, and I know you're quite fond of them. Yeah, uh, so uh, it, it was last week. Um, there was sort of a mini explosion of um, fan-made, user-created music videos for various things in Guild Wars 2. Um, the first one, I believe, was a Scarlet Briar video that was sort of a tribute slash, uh, well, not really a recap, but sort of, I guess, a Scarlet Briar tribute um, that I rather enjoyed. The uh, link will go in the show notes. And then uh, the other one was just sort of a generic Guild Wars 2 trailer in air quotes, and I was very impressed with it. I especially thought that the editing went really well with the music. Um, I know that the song is sort of polarizing in terms of people seem to really like it or really dislike it, uh, especially in conjunction with uh, Guild Wars in the footage. Uh, I believe the song is called Boom Clap. I'm not sure. It's a fairly recent song. Um, but I really liked it, and I thought that the editing uh, was extremely good on matching up with the matching up with the music, so... Uh, I'm definitely fond of that. There's actually a third one that <clears throat> the same guy put up uh, that made the trailer one, and I didn't like it as much, and I don't have the link to it, but I'm sure you can find it. Same guy. Um, so I just think it's really, I think it's really cool that we have people that are pretty good at editing these music videos and such, and sort of uh, to take my necessary jab, I, <laughs> I feel like uh, it was kind of better marketing than a lot of what we've seen officially for Guild Wars Call 2. Call of Taxi. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, of the weird things, I think the taxi was my favorite. No, no. The, my favorite was the alien from China. Oh, that was That was really too. funny. Yeah. 
The taxi yeah, was that... better than the like come together launch trailer thing. Yeah, it was real weird. Anyway, these were really good, and I feel like uh, they would be really good assets for uh, you know garnering interest from other players. But... So if you're watching anyway. this, Anna, maybe you could hire these people to make your promo videos. <laughs> hey, I know that the guy that made the trailer is a local. There you go. So yeah. So, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, there's always more to talk about, and we got deep into discussion, but, you know, uh, there's sort of a certain time constraint. So, I guess it's uh, time to sign off. You can find us uh, at Relics of Ore on Twitter, or you can find us um, at relicsofore.com. We had a bumper for this now. Uh, do we? Yes, we do. We found this out last week, and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Bumper! Um, I'm sure this is going in the show anyway, uh, which serves me right for not knowing how to edit the show myself. So, uh, bumper time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I guess uh, thank you for joining us, Rabin. Oh, thank you for having me. Yep, it was nice having you on the show. And thanks for joining me once again, Evie and Kate. Um, Evie and Spirit, as it were. Oh, and a uh, final note. Um, our scheduling has been very inconsistent this summer and we apologize for that there's been a lot of uh, real life scheduling issues and normally we've been recording on Saturday morning or yeah Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings and personally I've been exploded with things where I was literally leaving the state and will be for the next couple weeks as well so they're going to be a little bit later than usual Um, but we're still meeting weekly and getting stuff recorded so Unfortunately, I can't give you a better timeline than that, but it's usually out within a week or so. So, But if we're late, you don't have to worry about us spoiling things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and with that, I think we are signing off. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget to put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel-Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spiritface to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show.